Amen. Revelation 21 and verse 9 says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels who had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues. And he talked with me saying, Come here. And that's a command. It's not a request. He says, Come hither. I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. So the marriage has already taken place. Verse 10, He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. So he's taken to this vantage point where he can see the new Jerusalem. What a wonderful, wonderful thing John is experiencing. We're, we're intended to, to see a comparison and a contrast. This is juxtaposed along with Revelation 17. I want you to turn there, and I'll get Adam to help me if he's, if he's got his microphone hot over there. Uh, Revelation 17. And we're going to see a contrast between... Uh, this angel, and it may or may not be the same angel, but he's one of the seven uh, bowl angels. So the same one who delivers the message about Babylon uh, perhaps is giving the, the, uh, the revelation to John about the New Jerusalem. And so we are c to compare and contrast in these passages a tale of two cities. And so what, what uh, the Holy Spirit is asking us is do we want to be a citizen of Babylon or do we want to be a citizen of the New Jerusalem? But you can't be both. So you've got to decide what city you're going, your allegiance lies with. Adam, would you read Revelation 17, uh, 1 through 6? Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth commit fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of the harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Okay, so you see the differences between the two. There's a very stark contrast, isn't it? Let's go back to Revelation 21. Verse 11 says that this city has the glory of God. Don't gloss over that. that. That is the key feature of the New Jerusalem is that this city is the Shekinah glory of God. Wow. Amazing. And it's light. It's going to be hard for me not to get emotional preaching this. And so if, you, if I do, you just forgive me. But her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now, our modern jasper stone is not clear. So what a lot of commentators believe is that this may be a diamond that it's describing. So her light is like a diamond. Verse 12 says she had a wall, great and high. This speaks of the security of the city. Now, there's no threat of danger here, but we are reminded of God's preservation of his people all throughout the ages. We will make it to heaven not because we held on tight to him, but because he held us in the grip of his grace. 
from start to finish, our salvation is a work of grace. And those, t- those high walls will remind us that God kept us safe. And he brought us all the way home, and he's going to take us home, folks. The one who started a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. This wall had 12 gates. Notice the number 12 is prominent here. And at the gates, there are 12 angels. And I don't believe that they're there to guard the city because there's no enemies. Uh, uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse thinks that these angels will be stationed uh, throughout and they'll be there as a welcoming committee (laughs) as people are entering into the city and perhaps they'll rotate, you know, a different one every day, who knows. But they'll, they'll say, welcome to the New Jerusalem, you see. And we won't need to show any credentials because the New Jerusalem will be written on our foreheads in the name of God. Amen. <laughs> Praise you, Lord. And oh boy, there's names written on these 12 gates. And guess what? God didn't lose any of the tribes. All 12 tribes of the children of Israel are there. All 12 tribes of the children of Israel are there. Go with me to Jeremiah 31. You know, it's amazing to me. Hamas thinks that they can get rid of Israel. They can, uh, from the river to the sea, so-called Palestine will, will be free of Israel. But understand, Palestine is not a biblical term. That's, that's, the, that's the name for the Philistines. We need to refer to it as Israel. Don't call it Palestine. That's an unbiblical nomenclature for it. The land of Israel. And see, Hamas wants to get rid of Israel, but guess what? When all is said and done, not only did they not get rid of Israel, but their names are permanently inscribed on the gates in the holy city. So let me put it this way. Israel ain't going nowhere. Oh yeah, they may be dispersed abroad. They, they may have battle after battle. May even be taken into captivity like they were several times before. But miraculously, they always come back together. You want to know why? Because God made a promise to a man named Abraham. And he said, I'll make your name great. I'll bless you. In you will all the seed of the earth will be blessed. I'll curse those that curse you and I'll bless those that bless you. All right. Jeremiah 31. Adam, would you read for me verses 31 through 37? Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant which that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. Though I was, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of the Israel after these days, says the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for the light by day, the ordinance by the moon and the stars for the light of by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, 
If heaven above can be measured, then the foundations of the earth searched out beneath. I'll also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. As long as the moon and the sun are there, God says, I'm never going to be done with Israel. And he says, no matter what they do. Did you read that? He said, it doesn't matter how they fall short, I'm not going to abandon them because I made a covenant with them. Did you read that the, the, the new covenant is not with the Gentiles? The new covenant is made with Israel. And we're grafted into that. So no Christian should ever be anti-Semitic. All right. Uh, Revelation 7, if you want to turn there. Revelation 7, uh, Adam, would you read verses 4 through 8? And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, and all the tribes of children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Nephtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. And of the tribe of Eschar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. And the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. And of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. So no lost tribes, are there? No lost tribes. All, all of them are there, and all of them will be forever etched on the gates of the New Jerusalem. Go with me to Romans now. You know, one of the sad things is a lot of the early church fathers were uh, not early, well, yeah, the early church fathers were very anti-Semitic. And a lot of the reformers, now the reformers used the book of Romans uh, as the bedrock of the Reformation. And yet, uh, they seem to ignore the parts that, that, uh, that deal with Israel for some reason. A lot of the mainline denominations are still anti-Semitic. Romans chapter 1. Verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God and the salvation to all that believes. To who first? To the Jew first, and then also to the Gentile. Go with uh, Romans chapter Three now. Verses 1 and 2. Adam, would you read that? Need a new mic? No, it's coming. Okay. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the prophet of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because of them were committed the oracles of God. Okay, the word of God came from the Jews. We, if you got a Bible, you can thank the Jews for that. Well, thank God, but he used the Jews to do it. Go to Romans 9. Romans 9, verses 4 and 5. Would you read that, Adam?
Who are Israelites to whom pertains the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. <laughs> so the covenants came from the Jews, or, or were made with the Jews, but guess what else came from the Jews? The Messiah. Jesus was a Jew. Go with me to Romans 11 now. Verses 25 through 27. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to the Israel, and until the fulfillment of God the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sin. Do you believe God's going to keep his promise to them? He is. So at some point in time, the rapture is going to happen, and God's focus is not going to be with the Gentiles or the church. It's going to be with the Jews. All right, back to Revelation 21. Verse 13, it says, On the east there were three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city has twelve foundations. And in them are the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Mm. This is appropriate Oops. Well, my clicker's got a mind of its own. Yeah, just event. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Have to go manual. Uh, Twelve foundations. Now, this is appropriate because the Apostle Paul tells us that that the foundation of the church is built upon the the apostles. Ephesians two nineteen through twenty one. Would you read that, Adam, off the board there? Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and with the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building filthy frame together groweth unto the holy temple in the Lord. See the temple analogy? Temple's being built. It's growing up right now. The temple's still being built. God's building a temple. Um, and this is why I don't believe there are any more apostles in the truest sense. is because they were the foundation of the church. And if you know anything about architecture, you don't lay the foundation one time and then build upon it and then lay another foundation, right? The foundation's on the basement, the bottom, right? So uh, I don't believe in the narrow sense there are any more apostles. But I do believe the gifts of the Spirit are still uh, in operation. All right. Well, this is just a little extra thing. I don't have a PowerPoint. Who are the twelve? You know, is it is Matthias the, the twelfth or is it the Apostle Paul? I've always wondered that. And I've always assumed that Paul was the twelfth because Matthias, they chose him by casting lots. But I'm wrong in that. And I thank God he showed me I was wrong today. 
not today, but earlier in the week, he showed me, he shows me I'm wrong all the time, okay? But, uh, but he showed me I was wrong about this, that Matthias is the 12th apostle, uh, and, and he, he has his rightful place here in the New Jerusalem. Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Um, and you just have to trust me on that. If not, you can Google it after church. But uh, Luke wrote the Gospel and the book of Acts. Go with me to Luke chapter 24. And the Holy Spirit wrote the whole Bible. Uh, Luke, you know, he, he wrote because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 24. <clears throat> Adam, if you would read, just read verse 9. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and all to, to the rest. All right, just stay standing there. So Luke says they're the eleven, right? Judas is gone. This is after the resurrection. Judas has already betrayed him. Same chapter, verse 33. Would you read that? So they rose up on that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. All right, so Luke calls them the eleven twice without Judas. Go with me to the book of Acts now, chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And Adam, if you would read verses 15 through 20. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, all together the number of the names were about 120, and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in the, his ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong. He burst open in the middle and as all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So that the field is now is called their own language, Al-Keldama, that is the field of blood. Uh, to verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. All right, so in the Psalms, not only did it predict that Judas would betray Christ, but it predicted that he, he would have to be replaced by someone else. So Peter understood that prophecy had to be fulfilled. Okay, y'all with me so far? So in order for prophecy to be fulfilled, somebody had to take Judas's place. So the next thing they did was the logical thing to do if you're still living under old covenant mindset and that is if you got a choice to make cast lots. That's what they did back in those days. This is before the Holy Spirit came. Okay, So they're going to cast lots. And it says in verse 21, Of these men that have company with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went out among us. Notice that was a qualification for an apostle. Is they had to have seen, uh, they had to have been um, with them during the time that the Lord Jesus was going in and out. 
starting from the baptism of John. So nobody fits that qualification now. But anyway, he was taken up first. He says, must one be ordained? You see that must be? This guy's got to be replaced to be a witness of us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Bersabbas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. Now they cast lots, but I want you to see what else they did. They prayed and they asked God. You see that? They said, Lord, you who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen. And then it says that he may take part of this ministry. And they cast lots, verse 26. And the lot fell upon who? And he was what? He was numbered with the 11 apostles. All right, chapter 2. You're still in the book of Acts. Or you should be. (laughs) Chapter 2. The Holy Ghost comes with the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And notice what Luke says when Peter is getting ready to preach. Adam, would you read verse 14? But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. So notice Peter standing up with the eleven. That means Matthias is the twelfth. You're still not convinced though, are you? You're from Missouri. You need me to show you. Go to Acts chapter 6. This is just a little rabbit trail, guys, but we'll get back on the the beaten path here in a moment. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Adam, would you read that? Now in those days when the the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in a daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So notice Luke counts Matthias as a member of the twelve. So I think that settles it, guys. The Holy Ghost wrote the Bible, and he says that Matthias was one of the twelve. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, what about Paul? What about him? I got a theory, and I asked God if he would let me share this with you. If I was in a courtroom right now, I would tell the stenographer, strike this from the record. This is not part of the sermon. This is my theory. Y'all with me so far? Two, Two brothers... And their mother petitioned Jesus because they wanted to sit in the right hand and on the left. And it is my sneaking suspicion. Remember, Jesus said it's not mine to give. It is my sneaking suspicion that in that day at the right hand of Jesus Christ will be Peter on one hand, the apostle to the Jews, and on the other hand will be Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. That's my theory. And if I'm right, I'm going to go, I told you, I told you, I told you. And if I'm not, I'll pretend like I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) That's my theory. All right. Let's go back to, uh, by the way, how many of you could name all 12 apostles? And if you say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you've already failed. (laughs) Now, some, some of you could. I know some of you could. But some of those we're not so familiar with, are we? James the Less, Simon the Zealot, um... Bartholomew, and so forth. 
So what does that tell me? That tells me that no matter what, how small my part may seem to be, it matters in eternity. Because those 12 apostles, Matthias will be forever remembered as one of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. All right, let's go back to Revelation. I thought y'all would get more excited about that than you did. I, I overestimated. <laughs> Verse 15, Revelation twenty-one fifteen, And he that talked with me had a golden reed. Now in chapter 11, John was given a reed like a rod. But this is a golden reed. Why do we need a golden reed? Because he's measuring heavenly things, right? One of my wife's most precious possessions, y'all know she's the handy one in this marriage, right? It's not me. I had to fix, we had a, a nail that was loose in the porch yesterday morning. And, and I said, I'm going to fix that. I'm tired of walking over that nail. She said, are you going to try to do that? I said, yes. Yeah. So I got my safety goggles on to drive one nail. <laughs> I'm such a dork. And I, got a, and I drove it straight and true. And I came back in the house. She said, now you put them goggles up wherever, but I get, I'm getting that hammer because I know where I want it. And uh, the one thing that you can't mess with in the house is her Stanley tape measure. Okay. So when I saw this golden reed, I thought that's, that's about how Lori feels about her Stanley tape measure. But um, he, he took and he measured the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lies uh, four square. That's, a, uh, that's an archaic term. The Greek word there is tetra, tetragonos. And it just means four, four angled. It's not a pyramid. Uh, or ziggurat, that's, that's paganism. Those are pagan ideas. They were, they were built to worship the host of heaven, the stars and the moon and the zodiac and all that, that kind of nonsense. All right, it's four square. The length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000. If you've got a King James, it says furlongs. If you've got an NIV, it says uh, stadia. If you got an NASB, it says uh, 1,500 miles. Okay. The Greek word is stadia. It's where we get our word stadium from. But it, it is the equivalent of either 14 or 1,500 miles, depending on how you, you account for it. Now notice this, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. <laughs> so uh, Dr. Henry Morris says that if you were, put on a map, if you were looking at a map, North to south, it would be like from Canada to the Gulf of Mexico. West to east, it would be like from Colorado to the Atlantic. That's how big this city is. The major difference with this city is it's not just the length and the width, but it's the height. Now, 1,500 miles high is outer space from our perspective. But remember, this is a new heaven and a new earth. So that's why things have to be uh, uh, changed around. And this is just a city, guys. This is not the whole earth. This is just a city. 1,500 miles high. Taller than the tallest skyscraper. Now, Henry Morris, he's one of these math, he was one of those math whizzes, among other things. And he calculates that if you had all the saved from all, all the ages of time, um, every, every Christian would have at least 75 acres on each side for his particular cube. That's plenty enough room for your mansion, amen? Because have you ever wondered that? How are all the people going to fit in the heaven or whatever? No problem, guys. No problem at all. 
verse 17, says that he measured the wall. And um, he found it to be 144 cubits. The Latin word for cubit is elbow. Uh, cubitus means elbow. The distance from, a, uh, from the elbow, you know how to measure a cubit, right? Help you stay awake. Now, don't flip me off, but the measure of a cubit is from your elbow to your middle finger. And it's supposed to be 18 inches, usually. And I got Lori to get her Stanley tape measure out. This is what we do for fun, you know. On Friday. <laughs> and we measured each other, and we're both a perfect cubit. Perfect cubit, 18 inches from the elbow to the middle finger there. And I told Lori, I said, I'm so excited. I need to call somebody and find out what their cubit is. And she said, you might not want to do that. You know, they might think you're weird. I thought about calling H.T. because he's tall and he's got long arms. And, and I thought, H.T., how big is your cubit? And he, I, thought, he, I better not call him and ask him that. Because <laughs> he's already got questions about me, you know. So, <laughs> All right, verse 17. Notice this, though. It's 144 cubits. And probably this is the width of the wall. It's probably not the length of it. Because if this thing's 1,500 miles high, that would be a disproportionate wall. If you've got just a, little, a wall that's just a few feet high, it's probably the thickness of the wall. And that thickness, by the way, is bigger than two football fields. So, <clears throat> All right. Um, now, notice at the end of verse 17, the measurements are according to the measures of a man, that is, of the angel. So, the angel's not using some kind of symbolic way to measure the city. He's measuring it the same way you and I would measure in inches and feet. Point being, this should be taken literally. The golden rule of interpretation. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of gobbledygook, right? 1,500 square miles doesn't really mean that. It means this, that, or the other. And you've got to be careful with it because you go far enough down that rabbit hole where symbol is a symbol, you're doing the same thing that Satan did in the garden. God said, if you eat of that tree, you'll die. And what did Satan do? He said, oh, God, did, did God really say that? He's just speaking metaphorically. Was he speaking for real? He was speaking for real, wasn't he? God means what he says and says what he means. And listen, if you want to take this again, then if symbolism is the order of the day, well, how do we really know that three days in the tomb was three days? Maybe it was five, maybe it was six, you see? You see how it's a slippery slope when you start to, uh, to symbol, uh, uh, allegorize things? So I believe this is a literal city that's 1,500 miles high, long, and wide, and the wall of it is uh, over 200 uh, yards. Okay. Verse 18. The building of it, and that word means material, was of jasper. The thing's made out of a, a diamond. And the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. Now, that's different than any gold I've ever seen. How about you? Notice how everything in the city is translucent. Nothing is opaque. Because everything in the city is, is allowing the glory of God to shine through. The glory of God is shining through. Verse 19, the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. And a lot of people want to allegorize here. And honestly, uh, that, I, I, I don't, I'm not going down that road. But I will show you, uh, according to experts, what these supposedly look like. 
And we know it's true because it's on the internet, right? So we don't need to question. <clears throat> the first foundation was jasper. And again, the one the Bible describes is like a diamond. It's clear. And I think Brother Lynn, he's probably a gemologist, so he probably has more clarity on this than I do. But um, the second was a sapphire. We're pretty confident what sapphire looks like. The third was a chalcedony. The fourth is an emerald. Pretty confident what that would look like. The fifth is sardonyx. The sixth is sardius. The name means blood red for sardius. The seventh is chrysolite. The eighth barrel. The ninth topaz. The tenth a chrysoprasus. The eleventh a jacinth, probably a fiery red, a fiery blue red, uh, and then the twelfth is an amethyst. We're pretty sure what that would. Uh, what that would look like. But they're beautiful. All the colors of the spectrum, you know, colors of the rainbow. If you want to blow somebody's mind at the jewelry store this Christmas holiday, go down to K Jewelers and say, I'm looking for something for my wife. I, I want some uh, chrysolite bracelet with some chrysoprasis earrings. And that'll be a good conversation starter for you. And you can say, well, you don't know what those are? Well, those are in the New Jerusalem. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? They say, get out of here. <laughs> All right, but they're beautiful. 21, verse 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, and this is where I'm probably going to get all choked up. Every several gate was of one pearl. They were a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. Now, notice that every... This is where we get the pearly gates from. You ever wonder where that phrase comes from? This gate is a single pearl. You're thinking, you're thinking Brother Lynn, he said, that must have been a big oyster, right? God doesn't need oysters in the New Jerusalem, though, does he? Uh, <laughs> humongous. Now, many of you may not know this about the pearl. Number one, the pearl is an unclean uh, uh, food, uh, the oyster is an unclean animal to the Jew. Okay? It's not kosher. So right away, that's a clue that this is a symbolism for Gentiles because okay? the, the oyster is an unclean animal. But a lot of people may not know how the pearl is formed. The, the pearl is formed because of an injury to the oyster. The oyster has an irritant. I guess I should read the the uh, Wikipedia thing here. <laughs> so I don't get it right. Pearls are formed when an irritant such as a bit of food, a grain of sand, or even a piece of the mollusk mantle becomes trapped in the mollusk. To protect itself, the mollusk secretes substances that it uses to build its shell. Aragonite, a mineral, and conchylian, oh, I just butchered that, a protein, these substances are secreted in layers and a pearl is formed. Um, John Phillips says that the pearl is the response to the thing that injured it. It's the suffering. And in the eternal city of God, these 12 gates of, that are a single pearl, we will forever remember the sufferings of Jesus Christ, the tremendous price that he paid so that you and I could have a place in the eternal city. And we'll be reminded of our own sufferings too, won't we? The Bible says that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. If we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. 
And forever and ever we will remember that tremendous ultimate price that the Lord Jesus paid so that we could have the right to enter into the gates of the city. What a profound truth. Verse 22, this blew John's mind. I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. That must have been surprising to him because as a Jew, he's, that's how he's used to seeing uh, meeting with God. But now the temple is, um, is God and the Lamb. Now, go back, now think back to the measurements again. Remember I told you that the measurements were a perfect cube? If you read in 1 Kings, I think it's chapter 6, you don't have to turn there. When Solomon is building the Holy of Holies, you know what it is? It's a perfect cube. It's the same equal, distance, uh, you know, equal length, width, height, and height. So that, that Holy of Holies is a perfect cube. So now this whole city is the Holy of Holies because God and Jesus are there. I, and that's why everything's transparent, because everything's holy. There's nothing to hide, nothing but the glory of God to shine through. The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon. Now, it doesn't say that they're gone. That's an important point I want to make. A lot of commentaries say there's no more sun and moon. It just says that the city doesn't need it. Why? Because it's got the glory of God. And the Lamb is the light thereof. <clears throat> Verse 24, and the nations, that Greek word is ethnos, it means Gentiles usually when it's translated. The nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And, do, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. So it would seem like there are a multitude of peoples who don't live in the city, are you with me, who are going in and out, making trips, you know, back and forth. Now who are these people, I wonder? Well, my best guess is that these are the people who were born during the millennium. There'll be billions of people born during the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. People will die too, but people will be born. And my guess is that that'll be these guys because the Bible doesn't speak of another resurrection, uh, only one resurrection. And after the first resurrection, then it doesn't mention any others. But I don't know. Verse 25, The gates of it shall not be shut at all uh, by day, And there shall be no night there. That was the usual uh, procedure to secure the city was to close the, the gates at night. But there's no need there because there's no enemies. And they bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into anything that defiles, neither worketh abomination or makes lie, but only those whose names are written where? Lamb's Book of Life. Just five more verses. Let's go ahead and finish those. And he showed me a pure river water of life clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb now hold your place there and go with me to Genesis Genesis uh, chapter 2 sorry <clears throat> now the waters of life that is a symbol of the Holy Spirit throughout the New Testament Jesus told the woman at the well uh, that that uh, those that drink of that water would thirst again, but the waters that he would give would satisfy forever. This water speaks of satisfaction. You know? And I believe that this new Jerusalem uh, is going to be a place of constant 
satisfaction. Just fulfillment, contentment, refreshing, enjoyment. It's not going to be boring at all, guys. People worry about that stuff. Are we just going to have one big church service? No. There's going to be plenty of stuff to do. What do you do in a city? There's commerce. There's trade. There's activities. There's celebrations and so forth. I told you to turn to Genesis, and I should have done that while I was talking. <laughs> Too busy flapping my gums. Genesis 2. Adam, would you read verses 8 through 14? The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put a man in, in whom he had formed. Out of, and out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and, and for good for the food. And the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of it, Eden, to the water of the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is Bashan, it is the one that which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, and Bedlam, the onyx stone, are there. The name of the second river is Gihon, which is the one that goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hadakal, which is the one that goes toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. All right, so we have echoes of Genesis here. There was a water, a river that came out of Eden and it parted. And so now there's a, cr a clear stream of water. There's no ocean anymore. There's no more sea. But this water comes out proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In verse 2, uh, back to Revelation 22, verse 2, In the middle of the street and on either side of the river there was a tree of life. Again, echoes of Genesis. The tree of life has reappeared. God banished uh, Adam from the garden. He wouldn't let him eat from the tree after he had sinned in his mercy. But now we have access to the tree of life once more. Now notice there's how many uh, types of fruit? Twelve types of fruit. There's that number twelve again. Yielding her fruit every what? Month. That's in the unusual, isn't it? Apparently there's some kind of dating system in heaven. Uh, don't, don't know what it'll be like. Wouldn't even conjecture. But apparently there is some kind of time-keeping mechanism, date-keeping system in heaven. And the, and the leaves of the tree, notice it's not the fruit, but the leaves. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, the ethnos, the Gentiles. So these leaves, and by the, word, by the way, that word for healing there is the, where we get our word therapy from. There's not going to be any sickness in, in, uh, in heaven because verse 3 tells us there's no more curse. But apparently there's, this tree will provide constant refreshment and therapeutic. Um, might be like having a spa day or something, I don't know. <laughs> but it'll be constantly refreshing. Verse 3, there shall be no more curse. Praise God. The throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And notice that phrase, his servants shall serve him. Let me paraphrase that for you. When you get to heaven... You're going to have stuff to do. And it's not just sitting on a cloud and playing a harp. As wonderful as that might be. You know what? It might be a lot more fun than you think. When was the last time you did it? So you don't know if it's fun or not. 
It might be amazing. <laughs> but, but you're going to do more than sit on a cloud and play a harp. That word for serve there is the same word used for priestly service. So it could be that throughout the ages, you and I will serve as kings and priests, and we'll be teaching people about God all throughout eternity. Pretty cool, huh? All right, verse 4. They shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. You know, that's just a short verse, but that's pretty profound. The face of God we shall see. To the church at Philadelphia, Jesus made a promise. Adam, would you read that one last bit there on the, uh, uh, the board? Revelation three twelve, Promise to the church in Philadelphia. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Folks, we have a, a home that is alive and well right now, hovering somewhere, <laughs> called the New Jerusalem. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. And if your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're a member of that city. You're in the registry of the city. And this is where we're going. Last verse, verse 5. There shall be no more night there, neither shall they need a candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and don't miss this last verse, and they shall reign, how long? Forever and ever. We're going to reign forever and ever. Well, one last question to be settled. How do I become a citizen of this new Jerusalem? John 14 Jesus tells the disciples he's going to leave. He said, in my Father's house, that's what we've been talking about today is the Father's house. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. And I know the Greek word means many dwelling places. But the King James translators, I believe they translated it mansions because there's nothing that, on this earth that could ever compare to anything that God has over there. I mean, words fail. In my Father's house are many mansions. He said, if I go, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I believe that place is already prepared. I believe that it is. And, and they asked him, the disciples said, said well, where, where are you going? How, we don't know the way. How are we going to get to the Father's house? That's right. John fourteen six. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I hope that I've whet your appetite a little this morning for the New Jerusalem. It's a sweet place. It's a place where only happiness dwells. No curse, no sorrow, no crying. But there's only one way to get there. There's only one way to get there. It's not by joining a church. It's not by being a good person. Not by sacrifice, doing penance. There's only one way, and that is to put your trust in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He cannot see the kingdom of God. If you want to be a citizen of the new Jerusalem, the invitation is open today. Hmm. Next week, we're going to finish the book of Revelation by God's grace, by his will. We're going to finish it. And the beautiful thing about this book, the Bible ends with an invitation. 
God says, if you want to go there, it, it's for you. Whosoever will, let him come. But you and I have to make that choice. We have to decide, are we going to be a citizen of Babylon or are we going to be a citizen of the New Jerusalem? If you choose to be a citizen of Babylon, we know how that ends, in destruction. But this ends in joy. It never ends. If you're a citizen of the New Jerusalem, joy, you will reign forever and ever. Would you stand? Jesus died for you, paid the price, paid it all on Calvary. And he says, whosoever will, let him come. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, buried and rose again the third day, if you will believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, ask God to make you a new creation, he will do that right now. Maybe you're a believer here, you've gotten a little lax in your walk with God, you've become lukewarm, you've become complacent, stagnant. I hope that this excites you. There's things to do. There's rewards to be gained. There's, there's work to be done. Guess what? I believe that your responsibilities in heaven will be based upon what you do here. So if you're not on fire for God, maybe get in this altar and say, God, light my fire again. Would you come?